0: Hello and welcome to our podcast, Pretty for an Aboriginal. I'm Nikki Lewis. And I'm Miranda Tapsell, And we're here to talk about all the things this country has trouble
1: talking about.
0: Like relationships, sex, dating, being a total boss, weight and most difficult of all, race. I've
2: got the ability with my page and my pictures that I'm actually able to reach millions of men.
0: Taps. Yes, Nakia. Do you get sent weird things from your fans? Like fan letters and stuff? No, not like letters. It's not like, you know, like sending my it's my, my letters of my memories. <laughs> like, it's not 1990. Um, I mean like DMs and messages with like photo attachments.
1: Mm, I have to admit I really don't get that kind of stuff. Um, I get lots of marriage proposals. How do you feel about that? So maybe I'm coming across as like... The married, the marriageable type. I don't know. Is that the word marriageable? Is that, is yeah. that a word?
0: <laughs> You're that nice girl from high school. What's this? Anyways, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to torture you with my singing. The reason I ask is, I got sent lots of just weird shit when I did the first season of Black Comedy. Yeah. Yeah, like so um, you know, because I was um, I was a bit heavier, you know. And I lost a bit of weight. Which is totally fine. This is totally fine. Um, I love the heavier me. Um, you know, I was about 55 kilos heavier than I was now. Um, and I got a lot of weird messages from men um, sliding into my DMs um, after watching the show, just sending very inappropriate things. They were like, you know, they were um, fat fetishes. <gasps> <gasps> Are you for real? How dare they have a fetish? <laughs> no, yeah. And it was interesting because, I mean, the stuff was just like it was bananas. Uh, some of it was just straight up like sexual messages, you know, sexual. I mean, it was pretty much all sexual harassment. But there was also like I remember the, the funniest one I got was this guy who sent me a um, a list of food that he wanted to feed me. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, and it was like stuff like fairy bread. So fairy bread is uh, an Australian delicacy. It's a piece of the cheapest white bread you can buy with a bit of margarine and um, hundreds and thousands. Hundreds and thousands sprinkles. I'm sorry, that's not sexy. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was really weird. But what creeped me out about it, like I laugh about it, but what creeped me out about it is I could just picture this guy sitting there um, with an erection. Piping out the food he you, you wanted to feed me. And the idea that I was somehow a part of this just creeped me out. It would creep me out so much. So much. Well, there's a, yeah, a few things, yeah, there. Is that, like, liking bigger women or women of all sizes, that's like someone's size is not a fetish, number one. Yeah. You know. And, like, number two... Like a fetish is when you objectify, I I think, so when you're objectifying someone for their size. Um, And then the the, the third is kind of like just because I'm a woman in a public space does not give you, does not mean I'm there for your consumption. Yeah. It's not like you started it. You were just on a
1: TV show.
0: Yeah, like telling (laughs) jokes. Yeah, male entitlement. Yeah, they feel
1: very entitled to go, hey, here's my dick. <laughs> and it's
0: just like, no.
2: Yeah,
1: totally. I don't want to see that.
0: <laughs> no. But anyways, um, so our guest today was getting up to 50 pictures sent to her a day by amorous, creepy, desperate and or just plain pervy men. 50
1: dick pics a day? Oh my gosh. Emily Sears
0: is a model who's become a target for admirers. And
1: haters. This is definitely one topic this country doesn't like talking about.
0: Do men have a right to send graphic images to women online simply because they find a woman attractive or sexy or whatever it is they find her?
1: Look, my first response is just no fucking way, but it happens more than we think it does. So we're going to find out how and why Emily clapped back.
0: Emily says, welcome to our podcast.
1: Hey, girl. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be invited here. I
2: really appreciate it.
1: Kira and I often talk about a lot of what we should and shouldn't say on Twitter and other social media platforms. And I think, I think I'm not as brave as Nakia when it comes to, like, you know, really – really voicing my opinion because I'm very aware of um the kind of backlash I would get if I if I said things especially by racist trolls do you believe you can ever teach the internet to learn something new
2: um that's a really good question I have noticed that since my initial um like after, like since I first started talking about the dick pic thing, I have noticed like an, a huge decrease in like the amount of pictures that I personally receive. Um, if you're not familiar with this story, for anyone listening, um, I had been tweeting about how when men send me inappropriate messages, I search for them online um, by their username, and I find you know family members, wives, girlfriends, you name it, and I sort of um, forward on the messages or I reply to them with. A picture of their mom or something like that so um that's sort of something that you know I sort of initially did something funny um just kind of threw it out didn't really expect it to get the attention that it did um I was sort of thrust into this conversation about um you know online harassment but originally it was quite light-hearted and I noticed that um when I was sort of speaking about my experience I was getting a lot of backlash and um the types of questions that I was being asked in terms of, you know, explaining what was going on and stuff like that, um, it was really victim blaming, and that sort of um, that sort of shocked me. Just how much the pushback was like, well, don't you think you're asking for it? Like you put sexy pictures up. So at the time, you know, I sort of didn't feel really ready to be like outspoken on on these kinds of issues but I guess it's sort of just like it, I had to sort of jump off the deep end and just like become more well-versed um to be able to defend myself and just sort of trying to um, like explain in the most simple way possible to people that just don't get it that like a body is just a body and my body existing is benign. and whether I'm nude you know I could be nude in the shower that doesn't that doesn't make it a sexual setting, you know. So it's like when you look at a picture of somebody, not even shoot nude or post it, but if you look at a picture of somebody and you see the sexual, that's that's you projecting your attraction.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's, it's the way that you brought up, you know, people saying, like what did you expect, like that type of victim blaming and how you put your body out there. I think, you know, given that conversation um, and – you know, one of the, the things that kind of makes me laugh myself about your story and, and my experience is that I feel like similar things kind of happen. Yours was more extreme for two totally different reasons. You know, mine was these messages from guys who had things for, you know, fat women, uh, BBW, whatever you, you wanted to call it, who fetishized a body. Um, but I feel like it's the same reason as to why they think they had a right to do that.
2: Right, it all comes down to male entitlement at the end of the day and, like, being fetishized and putting women into categories and just the bizarre way that men look at women and want to put us in a box, categorise us, and then the entitlement that they attach to us presenting in a way that they might fetishise gives them this sense of, like, authority and a sense of, like, again entitlement just to say whatever the hell they want to say it's like just
1: really bizarre yeah like we've often talked about taking a step back but I I also still want to engage like I because I you know there's still things that I believe that would help causes if I sort of help like if I sort of
2: um, amplified other people's voices on it. Yeah, self-care and self-protection is like, got to be paramount. You know, if you're not – it's, it's like, okay. You know, it's really okay to, like, protect yourself at the end of the day. Like, it's totally fine.
0: Yeah, Now I think, like, because, you know, we're talking over Skype and we kind of all work in an industry where people look at us. Yeah. Um, like, I think it might be, you know, to be really specific, I'd love to hear – Um, if you had to describe yourself to a woman without sight, Emily, like, what would you say? How would you describe yourself?
2: Um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm blonde. I've fake boobs, um, you know, kind of curvy. Um, I've done like modeling for like Maxim, you know, zoo when it was still around. That's kind of how I got my start modeling. So, you know. I guess you could call me a pretty typical sort of like sexy girl model. That's like what most of my work is. Like when I first started modeling, it was here in Australia. And I think like things have really evolved since then because that was like before social media. So, you know, I felt like when I first started modeling, that's where the industry put me just because I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't, you know, 5'11 and 90 pounds. You know, so it was like at the time, if I wanted to model, like that's that's where I fit. Whereas now with social media, you're kind of able to build your own following and then sort of like put the post, you know, publish really your own content and show yourself in whatever way you want to be seen. And I think that's like helped a lot in terms of you know um, a lot a lot more um, fitness girls or a lot more like body positive girls and. Plus size modelling, like, we're seeing that grow now because these girls have really taken charge and, like, being able to prove to the industry that people want to see themselves reflected when they're shopping.
0: Now, the the podcast is called Pretty for an Aboriginal and how the title came about is because Miranda and I and, and pretty much every Aboriginal woman I know in my life at some point has been told that they're pretty for an Aboriginal. And there's this quote that I love and it's by Fran Lebowitz and it's, the further you are away from white, the more trouble you are. And looking at the way that beauty is so so racialized in what we describe as, you know, conventionally beautiful or um, existing within those spaces, Um, you know, like for instance, you you talked about the Kardashians. Um, There's certain body types that, you know, black women have, have, just always had that have been then cultivated as being kind of sexy and acceptable by, you know, non-black women, for instance. Do you, do you think you would be able to cultivate that platform that you have if if you weren't, you know, if you weren't white? I don't
2: think so. I think I'm pretty aware of, like, having white privilege. I don't think that, you know, definitely in mainstream women's magazines, I mean, the reality is you just don't see black girls or Asian girls or, you know, women of colour really represented so that wouldn't have happened. I don't think that, that was right. Do you think that
1: um, the pushback would work if you didn't look the way you do? Like, does your, does your beauty bring power?
2: Um, I think that's a really – it's an interesting thing for me to answer. And it always – you know, I, it's always hard for me to answer this too because I'm aware of having, like, pretty privilege. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm aware that I'm conventionally attractive. So I don't ever want to, like, answer this question in a way that's like, oh, poor me. Like, you know what I mean? Because I know, like, for girls that aren't conventionally attractive, that aren't, you know, that can't go into a store and buy their size, like, that shit sucks, you know? And I don't have to experience that. But I will say, like, I have a power in terms of my look, and it definitely opens doors for me. But I'll also say that it can shut doors, too.
0: You know, yeah. it can
2: mean that people don't take me seriously. It can mean that people might not respect my voice the same way they might, you know, if I was more modest and stuff like that. So it kind of can be like a two-way street sometimes.
1: Your Insta account has amazing images of you showing off your incredible body. I was just interested to know what, what your Insta account is about. Like, is it about generating a brand, you think?
2: You know, it's funny. I think, you know, I do post pictures that are kind of like I guess sexy but to me it doesn't feel like I'm personally trying to be overtly sexual or anything I just have an interest I guess in sensuality and I have an interest in um feminism in owning my sexuality um and you know I guess I put the pictures up and then people you know whether it be fortunately or unfortunately they're free to interpret this as they want to, as with any photography or art, anything, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder of what they choose to see.
0: And it's it's really interesting that you talk about being the creator of your own personal image. You know, so much feminist art from the 70s was uh, like performance art it was based around this idea of having, you know, autonomy over your image and over the way people view you. And your, I guess your, your image and what, I kind of love about you because it's almost, you know, and it says a lot about my own bias, but, you know, your feminism and your politics, it was, when I first encountered you, it was almost uh, like a surprise as to how strong a part of what you, you put out there. So do you think that your politics or what has been the impact that your, your politics and your feminism have, have had on your career?
2: You know, um, it's not the first time that I've heard that. And I think that is one of the strengths that I can bring to the table, like in the conversation of feminism is that I, I have a pretty unique perspective and I think it's valuable. And I think what's valuable to, you know, all types of women, like doing my content and feeling me is I think that there's this idea of like, if you would look a certain way, like you might be accepted you know, or you might not go through certain things or you might like, and the reality is, you know, I might be accepted in some ways, but like I'm trashed in other ways. You know, I I think that like really what it comes down to is as women, we're all put into this competition with each other. And the reality is that none of us can win. And it honestly, to me, is probably the hardest part about it. Um, is that my audience really is like a lot of men and it's a lot of men that are looking at me not to receive the message of my politics and what I'm really about but what happens is I get a really strong backlash and what's good and bad about that is like it means that I'm getting through and I'm getting through to really the people that need to hear the message most I think like in in feminism and in feminist spaces like we can go back and forth and and have conversations and that's so valuable and it's so needed for us to have space safe spaces and discussions with each other and support each other um but you know if i was just to post nothing but the content it wouldn't reach man and i've got the ability with my page and my pitches that i'm actually able to reach millions of men and you know while that's a great thing because it's like it's like maybe introducing ideas and messages to men that have never had these questions before never even thought about this stuff before it's like they're really the ones that need to hear it um so that's great but then the unfortunate part of that for me is that you know they're the most offensive they're the most abusive and that's, like, kind of where it gets hard for me. People tell me to ignore hate stuff all the time. And, like, I don't. I don't ignore it. I address it. So, like, whatever way that you can personally deal with, you know, the rejection and the abuse and everything like that, like, just do what's best for you and just stay true to yourself.
0: And also... Like, sometimes watching someone respond to it and not ignore it, especially in the way that you have. So, for instance, the fact that you would send pictures of uh, someone sending you their their dick pic, you would send them a picture of their mother. Like, that's hilarious and savage.
2: (laughs) So you're
0: doing a bit of a public service when you don't ignore it.
1: You know, unfortunately, there is something inherently, uh, you know, there's something deep in this, like, in the culture right about um about men just thinking that they own you in some way or that they think that they just have the right to do that to you they believe it is their right
2: it's really really insane like in male entitlement like once you really become aware of it you just see it everywhere and it's just like mind-blowing like just how deeply ingrained entitlement is for men over women in our bodies like it's crazy it's so full on. It's like it freaks me
0: out every day. Yeah. And I wonder if like, you know, speaking back to, you know, what you were saying, Miranda, and, and what you said, Emily, which was really interesting about the the men who tell you to ignore it, um, and they expect you to put up with this abuse, if it's about their entitlement as well, that when you're putting because I think what you, you know, one of the things I think is so incredible about what you've used your platform for and your and your words is that you've created boundaries. And so often, you know, male entitlement, as you said, it's just so rampant and without boundaries. And so do you think it's a also a consequence of those men then? They have, you know, as you said, they have to take responsibility, but also it's boundaries on them as well? You
2: know, it's, it's really all about entitlement. Like if they're telling me not to engage with my own abuse like why are they asking me to do that rather than telling the person not to abuse me
0: well it's it's interesting though because it's a similar it's basically you go yeah like male entitlement and you know how they kind of uh they how they you know that like their behavior sometimes with their with their entitlement can result in things like sexual harassment, which is you know getting a dick pic is sexual harassment. You know people talking about you, you know their their right to your your body that that becomes our problem because we're the people who have to suffer that like who feel the consequence of their actions. But the issue isn't on us; it's with them. And so often, and you see this, you see this within race as well. You know, looking at. um Black Lives Matter within Australia, like that's my community, that's what I can kind of reflect on, is that so often, you know, you look at uh, like Black Lives Matter here, Aboriginal Lives Matter, as if it's an Aboriginal issue. It's like, well, it's not, it's, it, it's our problem because we're the ones who suffer the consequences of people devaluing our lives. Um, right,
2: but you are the cause.
0: But we're not the cause. But so often we're expected to have to figure out, like we're expected to fix the cause. You know, and that really doesn't shift a lot of bound, like doesn't shift hierarchies, doesn't change power.
2: Yeah, and that's really frustrating.
0: Emily, we ask yeah. all our guests one specific question, uh, and I think you know, with this, we could swap out race for gender here, but let's just stick with race. So, we ask every guest, "When did you first realize that your race mattered?" Um, that's a really
2: good question. Um, I think it's so much a part of white privilege that it never really had to matter to me to think about it and like be aware of it um but I think definitely like I think my introduction to you know um ideas of like systemic racism and stuff like that probably from when I first started listening to hip-hop you know like listening to Tupac and stuff like probably was my intro and introduction to like being aware of the problem um and I'd probably say it was really when I moved to America that gave me like a deeper understanding of what it is to have a white privilege um I think then again it deepened again when I was sort of like entered into, into as I said earlier the feminist conversation because um, I wasn't ready for that like the feminist conversation like I said the dick pic thing it was a funny thing it blew up all of a sudden, I had to talk about feminism and feminist issues. And it's like, as I did that, deeper and deeper, as I went into feminism and had to educate myself and read up on statistics and look up at domestic violence statistics and stuff like that, you can't deny race as a factor in feminism. You know, you cannot, you cannot deny that, you know, these issues affect women of colour more you know, than white women, and so that, again, deepened my understanding, and, and I continue, like, I, I haven't, I certainly haven't arrived, you know, at, like, I get it now, I don't think that ever happens, um, and it can't happen, because you don't have, you don't have, you know, the first-hand experience, but I just think it's, like, a process of, like, um, undoing, undoing, I guess, like, or pulling the blanket off, and there's definitely been points in my life where I've been given a deeper awareness or, like, um, you know, dug deeper and dug deeper, and, and I just continue to just learn more and more. And, um, yeah, just yeah. listening, just, just actually um, another breakthrough is when you just realise that, like, you're wrong, you know and and you can either like just even being open to the idea that like you might be wrong does so much because it lets your guard down and once that guard is down you're able to receive new information
0: yeah
2: that like you couldn't accept before or even access before because you're so into just like I don't know, I'm probably training off and, like, not making no, any no, sense. No, no, not but. at all. Yeah, no, it's, you're
0: questioning yourself and your, your bias. Like, so Yeah, so that's like a really powerful keep, thing. You just
2: keep, yeah, it's just like this, like, it's like you're an archaeologist digging, you know, yeah. and it's like you just keep digging and digging and the layers just keep coming back.
1: Absolutely. Most
0: definitely. Keep and-
1: fighting the good fight, Emily. Every action makes a
2: difference. Thank you and same to you. Thank so you. appreciate
0: it. No, we appreciate your time and um, you kind of blowing off dudes. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> so, you. <laughs> bye.
1: Thanks, Queen. Bye, Emily.
2: Bye.
0: Miranda, I wonder if Emily has um, just like ever been sent an apology uh, by any of the men who she outed. I don't know. Um, did you? Um. It, yeah, like it was interesting. Um, I didn't. I never got sent an apology, but I did. Uh, like this one guy just kept sending me messages, and he would send them at there was a pattern to when he was sending them. So I got one about every two weeks. Um, at like a certain time of night and so I reckon he was probably hitting hitting the, the old alcohol getting a bit charged up and he was um he was black fella. Yeah and um and so one day, like after about six months, I just had a look for his uh profile and I saw that he like was married. <gasps> so I sent him a message and I said, Hey, brother boy, <laughs> would your woman be okay with this? You know what he did? He blocked me.
1: The, he blocked he you. Blocked. No, no, no! no. Like, don't
0: fetish shame yeah. me. Like,
1: yeah, you? yeah. You do not get to block after you've been grossed. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Like
1: exactly. For a I way wanted to, to do the better blocking. way to put it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You should have been the one
0: blocking, Queen. I know. Be like block. You block me. I block you. But I couldn't find him to block him because he blocked me. anyway. <laughs> I don't know. But then when I did the second season, I was expecting more comments, right, because I had, like, lost weight. So I was like, well, if there's this many guys who are like, hey, sexy lady, I'm going to feed you food and objectify you. I thought I'd get, like, <laughs> way more. Um, and I didn't get any. And I really? didn't know what to do with that information. Uh, it was, like, the opposite of what I had expected. And it yeah. – you know, it made me – kind of makes you question a lot of things. You realise how uh, – it made me think a lot about, you know, fat discrimination and, well, size discrimination and the way that we treat, um di- like, different bodies that sit outside of, you know, this conventional idea of, yeah. of beauty. Um, how we have entitlement to people's bodies, yeah. you know, and how – um, your privacy is a, it has a lot of bias um, and, you know, we kind of treat fat bodies as though they're uh, the community's problem, you know, mm. like if someone's fat, then everybody has something to say about it but if someone has, you know, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, then it's like, you know, it's there their personal struggle and, and their illness and you have to respect their boundaries on how to deal with it. I think it's like a different rhetoric but
1: yeah was... but I think um, at what we what we have realized is that men constantly comment on women's bodies
0: doesn't matter yeah. what size it also made me think though like with what Emily was saying and you know the messages that I got these are people who I think assume that there was no consequence to their behaviour and there were no boundaries for them. And so I wonder if yeah, we They can
1: felt it was their right, you know, they they constantly felt entitled to give their opinion on Emily's body. I mean it was so great to talk to Emily because, you know, we're starting to see that that, that needs to change, I think.
0: You know, Emily created her own space mm. and and had that control over her identity through building Instagram, right? Mm. And and and, and I wonder if creating that space, though, um, because I've always been like such a huge, for me, like creating space has been this really empowering thing. However, you know, looking at the messages Emily received, looking at the messages I received on this opposite end of the spectrum, I wonder if it's, you know, for as much as space that we create, how do you actually get those kind of social hierarchies with sex and entitlement and gender? How do you, how does that ever shift? Because... Kind of seems like there hasn't been a huge shift.
1: No, there hasn't.
0: Yeah. Anyways, I'm so glad that she uh, took him the task. Like, can you just imagine, like, seeing eating your cereal, strolling for your DMs, and it's just like dick after dick after dick? You'd get like RSI. She yeah. should like sue those guys. Yeah. or all wrists or something. <laughs> <laughs> that came out <laughs> yeah, and far more ironic than it meant to. Maybe we should do a poll with our listeners. Uh, Maybe you can all let us know if you'd name and shame or just straight up ignore. I'd be curious. And please leave us a review. We read them all, all of them. So be nice or we'll be sliding into your DMs.
1: And you can listen to every episode of Pretty for an Aboriginal on iTunes and all good podcasting apps. And follow us on Twitter. I'm Miss Miranda Tapp. I'm Nikia Louie. And we're Pretty for an Aboriginal.
0: So until next time. Bye. Pretty for an Aboriginal is hosted and developed by Nikia Louie and Miranda Tapsell, produced and edited by Nicola Harvey and Simon Nippard from Audiocraft. Big thanks to our supporter, Road Microphones, and Buzzfeed's Director of Audio, Eleanor Keegan, and the entire Buzzfeed podcast team. This is a Buzzfeed Australia production.
2: Bye! Bye.